Hello, this is Brandon from Motivational Speech Podcast. I have a great gift for you. I'm sharing some of the highly valuable life-changing free audiobooks. You can find the audiobooks link in the description. These audiobooks can change your life. So don't waste them. You're not bright enough. You waited too late. You should have started younger. Those are the kind of voices that we all live with. For me, our ministry was growing. We lived in a nice house, nice house we'd ever had. Driving a nice car, living from paycheck to paycheck, making it. Every night, I lay down at night, I hear the voices. Those voices are the kind of voices that stop you from buying into your own life. Stop you from enjoying the good times and believing that they will last. The anxiety and the pressure and the strength that it took to get from where you were to where you are doesn't go away so so you don't really believe it's yours. You're driving it, but you don't really believe it's yours. And you're scared to relax and really rest in whatever it is or whoever it is. And the enemy always has some sort of tool or memory or situation that he uses to terrify you, even though the the good times are here and, and, and the dream is there and the blessing is there and the goodness is there. But there's always this haunting, nagging, defiance that says, don't you relax. You're not worth it. You don't deserve it. And it's not going to last. Resting in what God has done is often more difficult than receiving what God has done. To rest in it. To believe that it will last. To believe that you will last, that love will last, that, that, that life will last, that, that good times will come, that things will be better, is difficult because of the voices. And you are what you eat, and the voices are the food that feeds your faith or fear. You see those voices that say what you can't do, what you can't have, what you can't be, what's not gonna last, what's not gonna work, is how the enemy pulverizes the promises of God in your life. And it takes word to combat word. That's why when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan was throwing word at him, he was throwing word back. And what we have to do is put word on word. I'm blessed. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in my uprising. I'm blessed in my downsetting. I'll be blessed into my old age. I'll be blessed when I'm an old man. My grandchildren will be blessed. My body is blessed. My body is, my mind is blessed. My head is blessed. I got this. I can handle it. I can do it. Bring it on. Here it is. That kind of talk, saying that to yourself, drives back the other voices of negativity that we all have creep up behind us and tell us that we're not capable and we're not competent and we're not gifted enough and we're not good enough or we waited too late or God is punishing us. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, God is far more interested in changing my mind than he is in changing my circumstances. We always want God to change our circumstances. God wants to change your mind. Why it's so important that uh, I manage my mind. I need to learn how to manage my mind because number one, my thoughts control my life. My thoughts control my life. You have good thoughts, you're gonna have a good life. You have bad thoughts, you're gonna have a bad life. 
If you have sick thoughts, you're gonna have a sick life. Uh, if you have sinful thoughts, you're gonna have a sinful life. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. We control what we eat, we control what we believe, we control uh, 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 what, we, what we drink, and, but, but we don't always control what we allow in our minds. And, and the Bible tells us that every action in your life starts with a thought. If you don't think it, it doesn't happen. If you think good things, then good things are gonna happen if you, and you're gonna do good things. But if you have bad thoughts, then you're gonna to tend to act in bad ways. So your mind controls and shapes your life. There's a second reason that you need to learn to manage your mind. It's because my mind is the battleground for sin. It's where every temptation happens. It's where every sin actually starts. The sin of pride starts in the mind. The sin of lust starts in the mind. The sin of hatred starts in the mind. Fear starts in the mind. Resentment, jealousy, envy, they all start in the mind. Worry, being stressed out, that's all in the mind. This, the battlefield for sin is fought not around you, it's fought in your mind. Romans chapter seven, verses 22 and 23, Paul talks about this battle that's constantly going on in our minds and he says this, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. But there's something else deep within me that is at war with my mind. And it wins the fight. And it makes me a slave to the sin within me. Paul says, in my mind, I want to be God's servant. But instead, I find myself still <sighs> enslaved to sin. You know, the habits and the hurts and the hangups that mess up our lives. Now, notice the words in that sentence. I want you to circle the word war, the word fight, the word enslaved, circle the word mind. These are battles that are going on in your brain. Now, sometimes you're conscious of this mental battle that's going on, and at other times you're not conscious of it. But it's one of the causes of mental fatigue. We're in a constant battle for your mind, and your mind gets tired because of the battle of things you want to think and things you don't want to think. You know, the reason this battle is so intense is because your mind is your greatest asset. And Satan knows that whatever gets your attention gets you. And so he, he, he starts with the mind, not with your behavior, not even with your emotions. He starts with your thoughts. A managed mind, it's the key to peace. It's the key to happiness. It's the key to life. An unmanaged mind leads to tension. A managed mind leads to tranquility. An unmanaged mind leads to pressure, but a managed mind leads to strength. An unmanaged mind leads to stress. If I want to learn how to manage my mind, I must feed my mind with truth. I must feed my mind with truth. Our mind is the control tower of our life. Whatever happens in our life starts right here. All of our decisions are there. And the truth is, whatever we are today is the result of what we've been thinking about all those years. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you don't like what's going on around you, maybe you should ask yourself the question, what am I thinking about? What do I think about myself? What do I think about other people? Because what we think about is really what controls us. For example, our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, our sense of direction in life, whatever we accomplish, our failures in life, 
All of that is a result of the way we think. And oftentimes we forget that, that this is a control tower, that everything else is a result of how we think, controlling our thoughts, because this controls everything. And that's where our thoughts are from. How do I control this control tower of my life? One of the ways you overcome uh, whatever that sin is in your life or whatever's going on, one of the ways you overcome this thinking is by asking yourself some very impacting questions. Not just questions, but questions that'll make a difference in your life. And I would just encourage you to write these down. You ask yourself these questions about whatever you're thinking. And the first question you ask is this, where will these thoughts lead me? Where will these thoughts lead me? If I keep thinking the same thing, well, it's gonna lead you somewhere. Very important question. If I keep thinking this, where is it gonna lead me? Another question is, will these thoughts get me where I wanna go? Then you have to decide where do I wanna go? Where do I wanna go in life? Well, what I'm thinking get me where I wanna go. And if you say, I'm just not important, I'm a nobody, I don't have any gifts and talents and skills in life, and give yourself a lot of excuses, you won't get anywhere. So you have to ask yourself the question, if I keep thinking this, where will this get me in life? Then ask yourself the question, are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? In other words, let's say for example, you're sitting in front of the TV and something comes along, you know it's not right. And the world is full of pornography. And pornography is the world's photography. They have diluted the truth and they put all kinds of stuff out there for people to watch. And you ask yourself the question, are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? And here's somebody committing some sexual act on television or, or whatever you may watch. Uh, are these things acceptable scripturally? No, they're not. Then you shut it down, cut it off. You, you, in other words, you don't watch. You do not have to watch what you know is not right. You can shut it down. Somebody says, but I'm so weak. You're weak because you're talking about being weak. You don't have to be weak. You have the Spirit of God within you who will enable you to do whatever is necessary to overcome whatever is there. So what you do, what we're doing is giving these questions and saying, let's look at reality. What's reality? Reality is, uh, where will these thoughts lead me? I have to answer that question. Will these thoughts get me where I want to go? I need to answer that question. Are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? I can answer that. Will these thoughts build me up or tear me down? And they're going to do one of the two. They're not neutral. Our thoughts are going to build us up or tear us down. When you sit through this message, these thoughts ought to build you up, not tear you down. When you look and listen to stuff that you know is not right, ungodly, unscriptural, sensual, whatever it might be, you know the real truth is they're going to tear you down spiritually. So you have to decide whether you're going to watch, look, or listen, or listen to your friends or whatever they're saying, because they're going to have some impact in your life. And then, could I share these thoughts with someone else? Whatever you're thinking, could you share it with somebody else? Or is that one of those thoughts that, no, you couldn't? And then, where did these thoughts originate? And some thoughts did not, not originate with the Word of God. They did not originate in heaven. They did not originate in godly living. They did not originate in anything that's holy. And they did not originate in anything that is good for you. So when you analyze the thoughts, where did this come from? Why am I thinking this? 
what's, what's the source of this? What is this going to do in my life? Watch this. All of those questions, you have the right and the power to answer for your life. Nobody else can answer them for your life. You have the power to answer them for your life. And we're just talking about how you think about yourself and the power of your thoughts. And you just think just these questions alone. And then the question is, do I feel guilty thinking these thoughts? Well, you know the answer to those things. You know, for example, if you thought about taking something that didn't belong to you, uh, how would you think about it? You should feel guilty. If you don't feel guilty, you have a major problem. Then you need to think a little deeper. Have I ever been saved? Uh, where, where, what's going on in my life? So we said your thought life is in your mind. This is the control tower of your life. And because it is, we make the decisions and we suffer the consequences or we glean the blessing of making right decisions in life. Whether it's about money or whether it's about marriage or whether it's about sex or friendship, relationships. Here's where it all starts. And this, this, this is going to control your life. And the truth is, all of us up to this point in our life, where we are is a result of how we've been thinking all these years. This self-esteem, this self-confidence, all these things unfortunately have been sold a lot on the planet. Why do you need esteem? Why do you need esteem? Esteem is because you want to be little one-up on somebody else all the time. Unfortunately, our education systems were made like this right from kindergarten. Who is first, who is second, who is third? You want to be first. So, your sense of happiness is only when everybody is doing worse than you. What kind of life is that? Why… why are we structuring our lives like this, that if everybody is doing badly, I will feel great? I think it's sickness. You think it's joy or sickness, please tell me. If you, all of you are doing badly, I feel great because I am number one now. No, this should go. From an early age, unfortunately, this is being imposed upon a child's mind that you have to be on top of everybody else. This is like, I want you to just imagine if this happened to other creatures, let's say it happened to the plants and trees and animals. If an ant wants to become like an elephant, that is going to be a terrible ant-elephant, isn't it? Suppose a mango tree wants to become like a coconut tree. It will be a horrible mango tree because with one branch like this, no mangoes will come out of this. A mango tree is like this, a coconut tree is like that. That's how it should be. This has happened because in so many ways, people have put these things into your mind, what is good, what is bad, what is high, what is low, what is up, what is down. Because of this, you have never paid attention to every aspect of life in the sense you never paid attention to these things. I spend a lot of time paying attention to all kinds of creatures, ants and grasshoppers and worms and everything. If you observe, let's say an ant or let's pick up something little more than an ant, like a grasshopper, it's easier to see him. If you look at him carefully, whoever created this grasshopper, has paid as much attention to your grasshopper as they have paid to this one. Please pay attention and see. When the source of creation 
has given equal attention to ant and you, who the hell are you to think an ant is a lowly creature and you are some superhuman being? Why are you making this judgment? Creation has not made this judgment. You may think you're superior simply because you're in a blatant manner, you're walking on this planet, but that's not true. The fact of the matter is like this. See, if all the worms on this planet, right now if all of them die, all the worms, in about twelve to eighteen months, all life on this planet will cease, everything, including you and me. Suppose all the insects die today, in something like two and a half to four years time, all life will cease. But if all the human beings die, the planet will flourish, everything will flourish. So, who the hell is telling you that you are the most significant life? This idea that the cosmos is human-centric is a stupid idea. In this cosmos, even this solar system is a tiny speck. Tomorrow morning if the entire solar system evaporates, nobody will notice it. That's how small it is. In that tiny speck, planet Earth is a micro-speck. In that micro-speck, Bengaluru is a super micro-speck. In that, you are a very big person with great self-esteem. <laughs> this is… this is not a simple problem. People suffer this for their whole life without handling it. Essentially, it is just this. You have gotten yourself into a place where most human beings are in this place, you get yourself into a place where you cannot handle your own thought process and your emotion, that's all. You meet fifty, sixty-year-old people, they've still not figured how to handle their thought and emotion. These are basic faculties. When the hell are you going to learn how to use your thought and emotion? Suppose you're uh, twenty years of age and you still don't know how to use your fingers, People will say you're handicapped, isn't it? You are whatever age you are and you still don't know how to use your thought and emotion. Are you handicapped too? Are you or are you not? Yes. You are, you're crippling yourself. Why has this happened? It's simply because you have made unna unnatural divisions in the existence, which don't exist anywhere else except in human mind, yes? Nowhere else does it exist except in human mind. When my daughter was growing up, she grew up with me traveling all over the place. When she was three and a half months of age, she's traveling with me alone. So she grew up like this and every day we're in some different family. People are wonderful but there is a problem with the adults. The moment they see a child, they want to teach the child something that's not worked in their life. You should see this urge is so compulsive. The moment they see a child, they have to teach. They have to teach <laughs> So I made one rule, see you can play with her as much as you want, you can talk to her, but nobody is going to teach her anything. But Sadhguru, she won't learn anything, A, B, C, at least one, two, three? I said, no one, two, three. Then they said, she won't know how to count even her fingers, I don't care. If she doesn't know how to count her fingers, as long as she knows how to use her fingers, I don't care. She thinks he has, she has a million fingers, what's my problem? But uh, they want to teach one, two, three, A, B, C, Mary had a little lamb. I said, I don't care whether Mary had a lamb or no lamb. 
you're not going to teach her anything. So nobody taught her anything. She's all ears, everybody treated… because if you have nothing to teach, you have to teach… treat somebody like your equal. So she grew up by the time she's uh, two and a half, three years of age. She can speak in terms of remembering about seven hundred to eight hundred names, all adults. She thinks they're all her friends because everybody spoke to her like she's an adult. And I would not have sent her to school but my schedule went totally crazy and I had to put her in some school. So when she was twelve, thirteen years of age, uh, one day she came back home and something that happened at school disturbed her. So she came and uh, came to me and said, you're teaching so everybody so many things, you're not telling me anything. I said, see, I don't do it unsolicited. Now that you've come, just sit down. This is all you have to know. Never look up to anybody. She looked at me like this, what about you, kind of thing. I said, especially me, because the moment you look up to me, you will miss it completely. If you look at me just the way I am, there is a lot of value to it. If you look up to me, what will you do? Probably take my picture and nail it to your wall, like you nailed so many people who are of value in this world. You just look at me for what I am, don't look up to me and never look down on anybody. This is all. Never look up to anything, never look down on anything. If you see everything just the way it is, everything has immense value. Everybody has a place and value to their life, isn't it? Every creature has value. Because we did not realize that, how many things we have destroyed in this world? Simply because we think this is valuable, this is not valuable. There is nothing here that is not valuable, everything has its value. Maybe you are not able to see it. So don't set yourself up like this you versus the rest of the world, it's a bad competition to get into. You want to be number one on this planet, it's a horrible place. Everybody below you and you up, is it a good place to be? I think it's a sick place. This attitude of wanting to be ahead of somebody needs to go. Well, for fun in a game or something you compete, that's different. Life is not a competition, life is not a race. If life is a race, you must get to the finish line soon. If you think life is a race, you must be at the finish line today, I, I can tell you how. You want to go there? No. This is not a race. This is a tremendous privilege that we have come as human beings. This means our ability to experience life is of a much larger proportion than any other creature on this planet. That is the significance of who we are, yes? We can experience life in many more vivid ways than how an ant can experience, how a grasshopper can experience, how somebody else can experience. This is our privilege. Instead of experiencing life, we are trying to win the race. If you win the race, you should be in the crematorium today. You don't need any self-esteem. So suddenly I saw the connection between mind, body and spirit, but then I was also actually intrigued by the fact that you could have two patients who had the same illness, saw the same doctor, got the same treatment and had completely different outcomes. One could survive, one could die. And in between there was a wide range of outcomes. And uh, it did give me the insight that our normal everyday experience of what we call 
reality mm. is the hypnosis of social conditioning that actually reality shifts as your consciousness shifts a correlation is not a causation as we know if the rooster crows in the morning and the sun rises at the same time we don't assume that the rooster caused the sun to rise okay but they are correlated so your mind your brain and the physical world are correlated experiences in a deeper realm of existence which is not in space or time the purpose of all healers and ultimately of all physicians should be to alleviate suffering now we've done a pretty good job with alleviating what we call suffering that occurs from acute illness you break your leg you get an orthopedic surgeon to fix it you get pneumonia you take an antibiotic so we've done a good job on what we call the physicalist level for acute illness but then there's something called chronic illness diabetes type 2 inflammation cancer heart disease autoimmune illness uh, accelerated aging uh, propensity to infections and we haven't done a good job there because what we are realizing right now that only 5% of disease related gene mutations are fully penetrant which means they guarantee the disease 95% of gene mutations that cause illness are related to lifestyle, sleep, managing stress, and whether you meditate or not, you exercise or not, uh, maybe you do yoga or not, breathing techniques, the quality of your emotions, nutrition, personal relationships, social interactions, environment, connection with nature influence your gene activity. We call it epigenetics. Let's say you got rid of all chronic illness <clears throat> and acute illness would humans still suffer and the answer is yes because unlike other species we have something which is actually quite bizarre it's called existential suffering we wonder why we exist we wonder why we get old and can we prevent that we wonder why we get infirm and lose our memories as we get old can we prevent that but we also are afraid of death can we prevent that and the answer is biological death is based on a false premise which is you are your biology and you are your body and you are a mind where i'm going with the heart problem of consciousness is you're not your body you're not your mind you're not the experience of the world you're the consciousness in which all this experience occurs to observe a thought is to know that you're not a thought to observe an emotion is to know that you're not the emotion to observe the body is to know that you're not this bundle of sensations and perceptions so who are you what is it that knows a thought what is it that knows a perception the color red is there a color red anywhere in the physical universe or is it just an experience I guarantee you no scientist can tell you that the color red exists as a physical entity in the universe it's an experience in human consciousness not in the consciousness of a bat who doesn't see colors but experiences the echo of ultrasound so what is the color red to a bat everything you thought was real is not real when you also realize that who you think you are is not real but when you realize that all your name your form and everything you see is provisional 
two things happen. To some people, they have immediate, what we could only metaphorically call the dark night of the soul. They go into a deep depression because everything they thought was real is no longer real, including their own name, form, body, and mind. Some people get so scared that they have a bad trip. Some people cross that threshold and discover nirvana or <laughs> enlightenment. And they say, wow, I thought I was, I was squeezed into the volume of a body in the span of a lifetime, but I'm a timeless being that can morph myself into any experience, including the human experience, which is amazing. But the human experience is also that which causes existential depression. So the causes of human suffering, since you brought it up, are brought up in Eastern wisdom traditions as, number one, you suffer because you don't know who you are. You confuse yourself with your body-mind experience. Number two, you grasp and cling at experiences which are evanescent and transitory and dreamlike. You say, what happened to your childhood? It's over. What happened to yesterday? It's over. What happened to five minutes ago? It's over. What happens to these words? By the time you hear them, they don't exist. So, you know, Wittgenstein, the German philosopher said, we are asleep. Our life is a dream. But once in a while, we wake up enough to know that we are dreaming. So what do you wake up to? When you cross this threshold, you wake up to your true self, which uh, is not body or mind, but the awareness in which that experience is happening. So grasping and clinging at a dream is the second cause of human suffering. The third is uh, being afraid of anything that's unpleasant, pain, abandonment, being treated by someone uh, not respectfully. So that's, you know, there's aversion to certain experiences. Third cause of suffering. Fourth is identifying, which is related to it, with your ego identity. And fifth is the fear of death. Now they're all connected. They're all the same fear. And they are not knowing who you are. This is the biggest question that humans or everybody should be asking. Who am I? What am I? Am I the changing experience of this body, which is a perceptual activity? Am I the experience of the changing mind? or the changing personality, because you don't have the same personality when you were a kid, or maybe even 10 years ago. Mm. What is it at the basis of this? When you start that reflective self-inquiry, ask yourself, who am I? What do I want? What is my purpose? What am I grateful for? Go into the stillness of meditation, you have what wisdom traditions have called revelation, revealed truth. Now, you know, that sounds very grand, I would say just call it insight, you know, meditation, mindfulness, uh, awareness of body, awareness of mind, awareness of mental space, awareness of the web of relationship, awareness with that which we call the universe. It leads you ultimately to the awareness of awareness. And when you discover that, that's nirvana. Hello, this is Brandon from Motivational Speech Podcast. I have a great gift for you. I'm sharing some of the highly valuable life-changing free audiobooks. 
You can find the audiobooks link in the description. These audiobooks can change your life. So don't waste them.